welcome to the Currency Exchange Podcast in partnership with World Class, brought to you by Diageo. World Class is a leading voice in cocktail culture and exists to inspire people to care about what, where, and how they drink. There is a great opportunity to connect with stories of our past and in our present. There is little value in knowing our history if it is incomplete and narrated in an inauthentic way. Your voice has value, just like the currency and collectively telling our stories will play a vital role in changing the narrative. Now let's introduce this week's episode. On episode 11 of Currency Exchange, I chat with Lauren Moat, co-founder of Bittered Sling, Chard and Labor, Nightcap Media, and Women Celebrate. Lauren is an active member and educator within the global spirits industry. Moat has led seminars at Bar Common Berlin and Sao Paulo, TED, Vancouver, Barometer and presented at World's 50 Best Bars Award. Lauren is a part of the Tales of the Cocktail Culture and Education and Spirited Awards Committees, and she was recognized by her industry peers as one of the top four international brand ambassadors of the year 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Currency Exchange, which is wild to say, uh, and at this point, I have one of my very, very favorite people and guests, uh, Lauren Moat, joining me. Hello, Lauren. Hey, LP. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Lauren Moat is a sought-after contractor and expert in the global spirits industry. Uh, she's a founding partner of Bittered Sling Bitters, Chard and Labor Agency, Nightcap Media, and Kale and Nori Culinary Arts. She's also the co-founder of Women Celebrate, one of my favorite platforms on Instagram, um, and they really celebrate and highlight women and femme folks in the drinks industry and their achievements. So uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, excited to have you here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in the food and beverage industry? Well, we've just started 2022, which makes it 26 years since I've been in the food industry and 22 years as a bartender. And I don't know that I can still call myself a bartender or not because I've been uh, removed from running bars or working behind the bar full-time since 2017. Uh, but I think it's kind of like being a chef or being like anything else. However you, however you identify is exactly what you will be until you decide to identify as something else. So for me, uh, bartending has always been a huge part of my life. And so uh, I will continue to address myself as a bartender. Um, I started, you know, dressing hamburgers in a singing fast food joint in 1996. And I used to make up uh, songs and, you know, from different oldies and Beatles songs and replace the lyrics with things to do with hamburgers and fries and milkshakes. That was my humble beginning in the industry. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, and for any listeners that are Toronto or Ontario natives, then you would know the restaurant chain. It's called Licks, which is all gone now in Ontario. Um, Canadian, uh, you know, when, when I started working in the industry in uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, it was based in Toronto, uh, where I'm born and raised. And then I moved to Vancouver in 2007 on the west coast of Canada. And that was really, an, uh, you know, a place and a time in 2007 that was pioneering the 100 mile diet, the slow food movement, the access to local regional seasonal for food and also with beverage. Uh, Vancouver's close proximity also to Seattle and Portland within a very close driving distance allowed Vancouver to actually rise as a cocktail destination 
uh, quite quickly and faster than say other parts of Canada that were very far away from neighboring US cities. A lot of the bars and restaurants that I worked in were, were driven on flavor, on philosophy of concept, working with uh, local farmers and purveyors, and also you know, focused on working with chefs and kitchen teams in order to bring new ingredients to life in a very new way of looking at how we make drinks. Uh, this is something LP I'm sure that you're very familiar with as well, working in the, the Lion family of bars. It's very much about the, the, the science behind the construction of the drink, about the flavor profile, the texture, the character, what its overall aim is to be. And that helps you in the construction of the drink. And so that's what we were doing, you know, in the early 2000s. And most of the bars that I, were, I was running was, you know, they were awarded for, for, for different things, uh, accolades, awards, uh, highlights because of that type of work that we were doing. It was a blend of really great bartenders, really great cooks and really great sommeliers, which I'm also a sommelier, working together to create an overall beverage and almost taste experience for our guests. So as I fast forward to 2012, my husband, my now husband, Jonathan, who is a, a very well-known chef also from Western Canada, we opened Bittered Sling Bitters. And this was after two years of trial and error and putting our uh, business plan together. And we launched Bittered Sling across Canada right away in 2012. And then the following year, we launched in the US and then we focused on Canada and the US for, for a couple of years. It's an award-winning uh, bitters that, that we created with that same mindset of developing incredible uh, food and flavor experiences and then how the drink can really tie in to become part of that overall experience. Now, since then, uh, you know, I've, I've run a couple of other bars and, and restaurants in Vancouver. And from there, uh, I, ended up focusing almost solely on Bittered Sling and our catering company, Kale and Nori Culinary Arts, until I joined uh, Diageo as a contractor in 2017 after winning World Class. Uh, I just finished my, my five years at, uh, at World Class in Diageo, developing uh, the education and the competition program globally for the program. And now in 2022, I am you know, a free agent uh, standing comfortably in my home bar, which we just built this afternoon. And I now live in Amsterdam and in the Netherlands, Jonathan and I own two companies, Chard and Laver BV, um, which is our consulting agency where we do international work and Nightcap Media, which is newly launched. It actually doesn't launch until the end of January. And Nightcap is focused on Jonathan's professional photography and our drinks and digital design studio that we have both as uh, digital marketing specialists. So there's a lot going on, but I hope that wasn't too long of an introduction, but I feel like we sort of nailed on, on some of the, the big pieces. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting because I think back to when I first met you and I all I knew is, wow, this woman Lauren Moat is amazing she's so kind very talented um and I what I realize is a lot of what you do is not necessarily focused on your personal achievements but how you can always make an impact and give back to others which is one of the reasons why I love you so much <laughs> um <laughs> mutual so, love yes it's 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 very mutual y'all <laughs> mm -hmm. so I wanted to talk a little bit about um your motivation for change and impact because you know, thinking back to how you kind of started and 
the spaces that you were in and the people you were very influenced by, um, it's very evident that it's not just about the drinks that you develop. It's not just about the flavors you're putting in your glass, but really about providing an enriching experience um, and really, you know, touching um, the hearts of people, making an impact in some sort of way. So what are some things you've learned or been exposed to while being in the food and beverage industry that really drive and motivate you, whether that's like interactions with people, a moment, an experience? Is there anything that kind of sticks out? Yeah, there's there's lots, and it's actually quite quite a loaded question, which is going to give you a very long response. So as you sit back with your coffee, I can see you're like, yes, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm. Uh, it's not that the attitude towards uh, bartenders of get a real job is completely gone in our industry, but I'm, you know, from one of the older generations where uh, becoming a bartender was the part time casual thing that you did while you were focusing on what you were going to do next and. And for me, I love the idea of being on stage and being the comedian or being, you know, just the, the listener, being the creative, being not the center of attention necessarily, but just almost the anchor of a room, which I think is a really cool way to look at, at bartending. And when I started working in the industry, it was because I loved the creativity. I loved the pace. I loved the energy. I genuinely love alcohol. I love mixing drinks. I love food. I love the people that, that uh, spend money in the industry. Like they're just really cool people, well-traveled, really interesting to chat with. And eventually what I was focusing on in my, I guess my, my external life, which was, you know, university studying political science and peace and conflict studies and other things that I was, that I was really interested in. I, my schooling started to like fall by the wayside and I started to do really quite terribly in second and third year university because my interest in the industry kept rising. And so I'd be spending, you know, days and nights until sometimes two, three in the morning, just working on, on what I was doing in, in the drinks industry. And then on the other side, you know, getting up at seven, eight in the morning to do projects that were due for school, which I had just no interest in completing. So I eventually made the switch uh, after, after third year university. And, you know, I, I needed, you know, we talk about motivations and things. I, I looked to my mother at that point and I said, I know that you're not paying for my school, that, that I'm paying for it. This is like, I've taken out the student loans. I'm the one that's like going to suffer big time financially from this decision. But do I have your permission to leave school? She says, well, I mean, well, you've worked so hard to get here. What are the reasons why you want to leave school? And I said, well, I love reading. I love the education. I love learning, but I'm just not really interested in switching out doing wine studies with this big, thick wine book and a group of sommeliers, you know, until 10, 11 at night on a Tuesday and trading that in for writing a paper on mm -hmm. Russian politics, you know? And she said, well, I think it's up to you at the end of the day, as you mentioned, you are the person that is going to be financially impacted by, you know, whether the pro or con of leaving uh, your school. And it'll always be there if you want to go back and take it. So I was bawling my eyes out. I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to go. <laughs> so I left and moved to Vancouver almost right away to almost start anew because I felt like ripping the bandaid off. I didn't want to be reminded of this old life. And then I started to be really focused on who those individuals around me were that could serve as sort of mentors, teachers, uh, interesting people that I would want to buddy up with and think what 
what you're managing to do in the food and beverage industry is so cool that I just want to be near you because I just find you so inspiring. So I felt like if I look at my life before 2007, food and drink was almost a means for energy and life and whatever we were doing. Still really fun. But after 2007, it was crafting an entirely new identity where I could be very proud that food and beverage and hospitality was my identity. That was, that was everything that I was doing. And so I'd start to cherry pick different branches of where I could expand. I could write about food and beverage. If I wanted to start writing restaurant reviews on a blog that I didn't think anyone looked at, um, <laughs> you know, I started to create things like vermouths and bitters and, you know, yeast affected wines, similar to like sherry. Um, I could do lots of different experiments, work with different chefs that were interested in the same level of geekdom that, that I was interested in. Uh, and I could just sort of formulate a circle of trust with people that uh, didn't judge me for having wild and crazy ideas about the industry. And I would, you know, support their ideas as well. So I think the motivations that started as how on earth can I identify as a bartender in a place where I don't think people respect what we do to after 2007, I identify as a bartender and someone in the beverage industry. And here is, you know, a group of, you know, 10, 15, 20, 100, 200 people that I know that are just as good at this as I am and are just working day in and day out to create new experiences, new ways of thinking about things, responsible, inclusive ways of, of bringing people together. Um, and that was really early on. Again, that was 15 years ago. So it's been a, it's been a long sort of journey since then. Yeah, no, I love that. I love everything about that. I think the thing that resonates with me the most is, uh, and it's something I've struggled with recently with my new job as the R&D production chef is, I'm like, do I still call myself a bartender? Um, and the reason I struggle with it is because starting out in food and beverage, the bartender is defined as the individual who's standing behind the bar serving the drinks, right? Um, but at the end of the day, everything I do always reverts back to being behind the bar making drinks, right? Um, and so I love that you said that because I think it, it also displays the versatility with what bartenders can do. It doesn't necessarily have to be a brand ambassador role. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like a prep chef role like me, but there are, are a lot of avenues and ways in which you can transition out of being behind the bar and still making an impact, which I think is important. Yeah, and I think when you, you know, the, the, the whole literal definition of bartender slash mixologist or whatever, I think, I think if you devote what you do in your working life as the service of the people, you know, serving at the pleasure of the person that's sitting at your bar or the person, even for Jonathan standing on the other side of the counter at home and I make him a Negroni, I mean, I'm still a bartender in that moment. And I think that we spend a little too much time labeling and thinking about how we should change labels and you know, how other people perceive us is you know, the label that we should be using. But I, I disagree with that. I think um, you know, someone that wants to learn music and they pick up a guitar and they play you know, maybe half an hour a day, you know, five days a week, they don't say, I'm learning guitar. They say, I yeah. want to be a musician, you know, yeah. they are becoming a musician. So I think we end up putting uh, way too much pressure and way too much stock 
in the labels and a lot of that ends up falling on us and how we identify as ourselves. But, you know, for you, LP, you're still working in drinks, you're working in bars, you're working at the, you know, the, the pleasure of your teammates, the pleasure of, of the guests coming in. They're the ones that get to enjoy these, you know, beautiful creations that you either did the prep for, or you constructed the finished product for at the end of the day. And um, I think, uh, you know, the, the very identity of what makes a bartender a bartender is definitely evolving and changing. And there are no two that are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's been really fun exploring the options over the last few years and certainly excited to see, you know, what's to come in the future in regards to how people define what bartenders are. And that's amongst the food and beverage industry and also amongst the consumers, because I think that their, their understanding of what we do is expanding um, every day as well. Yeah. Uh, amazing. All right. So I wanted to chat a little bit about um, some themes that I think really resonate with you, um, you know, based on what I've viewed um, over the last few years, uh, you know, throughout your career, but there are conversations um, focusing on the, the words inclusivity, diversity, um, and with that, a lot of uncomfortability because the topics are not necessarily easy ones to discuss. So I'm, you know, curious as to how those are, uh, how are these themes incorporated in what you practice, um, you know, in your everyday um, I see it a lot with what you do with Women Celebrate when I think it's amazing. And it's really, I think, finding ways in which it aligns with who you are as a person and, you know, what you do with and how, with how you practice essentially. But yeah, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. I think this is an amazing topic. And firstly, I think it takes some people years and sometimes decades or an entire lifetime to be honest with themselves about how they, they fit into, you know, those really big topics. Uh, for me, I, I knew at a very young age how I would fit into that because I didn't fit in. Um, you know, I think everyone has, has their own story of, you know, when they were made to feel uh, different, you know, whether at school or in home life or with groups of friends or, you know, different workplaces. And definitely that was, that was something I felt my my family my my dad's family are uh, are Jewish. My mom's family are not. And naturally, growing up in a neighborhood that was sort of a split of both of those identities in Toronto, uh, and going to a school that was more I guess Jewish than it was anything else, was very difficult because we lived with our mother and we didn't necessarily identify that way. And so. I can't really speak for my brothers. They'll have their, their own stories about their horror show of growing up in school. But for me, uh, I was never Jewish enough to fit in with the kids at school. I was too tall to fit in with the kids at school. I was too poor to fit in with the kids at school. And so it was a weird, a weird thing that, that I grew up in at school. And I had to come home every day incredibly upset and give the opportunity for my mom to try and fix me. And so, you know, I talk about my mom a lot because she's, you know, a super rock and a mentor and a really good friend. And, and she uh, always was able to help me through these difficult things. Even to this day, I still speak to her on a daily basis. And yeah. I think when you, when you grow up in a world where you do feel quite different. You're not part of the cool kids. You're not part of this group or another group. And as, as a child, you feel 
really isolated and um, uh, and really alone when you don't have people that are like you. And so you have two choices at that point. You either conform your thinking to be more of the group think so you can have friends or you stay headstrong on the way you think about things because it's right. And for me, the way I was thinking was, was right. It was creative. It was eccentric. Uh, it was <laughs> different. And so I grew up having, you know, maybe a couple of friends and, you know, eventually over time, as things start to evolve, as, as, you know, I changed schools and became, you know, part of school populations that were um, more diverse, more multicultural, uh, different backgrounds, different, you know, financial households, whatever, you, you start to see that the world is so much bigger than what you thought it was. And so I've always grown up, I've always thought about work in the same way, I've always thought about education, uh, about the future of where I would go and the type of company that I would keep, the types of people that I would want to connect with, personality types. This, this is all part of you know, what I learned as a kid, but I couldn't really put words to identify what it was until I was much older and had the language skills and vocabulary to explain it. And so, you know, diversity, I, I, I can't imagine sitting in a group of people and not asking for everybody's opinion. It's not about my opinion. It is about perhaps I have a talent of leading and making people feel safe and comfortable to share their opinions. Yeah. Um, and then being able to, you know, ask questions and coach to, to be able to, to help shape and craft those, those, those ideas further. So it can really turn into something special. And I think that's part of, uh, part of being mentored by great people. And then in turn, I'm now passing that on and, and mentoring others. Um, but in a group setting, I never feel like that's mentorship. I feel like that's just life. I feel like, um, you know, opening up uh, conversations so everybody can have a share of voice uh, in, in a safe place is exactly what I never had when I was growing up and what I always longed for and what I craved. And so I feel like that is the, the, the most important thing in everything that I do now before anything else. We can talk about any topics you want, but you know, before we get to the result of what we're going to do, you know, we're going to have a big open discussion about what we all think. Um, and I think part of that, and, uh, you know, we talk a lot about inclusivity as well. And I think, you know, over the last, you know, seven, eight years, I've built education programs that didn't necessarily just benefit people uh, in the drinks industry that worked in large cities with lots of access, but it was rather focused on, you know, the emerging countries or cities or places in the world where the access is so limited and oftentimes they're you know an afterthought uh, off the side of the desk you know um, Eastern Europe Africa Southeast Asia uh, different parts of uh, Latin America of course uh, different parts of the US even like there's there's you know little rural places in Canada or perhaps you know in in parts of Northern England like there's just there's lots of places where there isn't as much access or emphasis and I've always made it um, a focus of what I do to shine a spotlight and provide the tools, resources, and access in order to shine when the spotlight arrives. Um, so, you know, a lot of those things did make me uncomfortable in the moment because if you don't work for, you know, there's always somebody above you that says yeah. yes or no, that assigns the budget, that assigns resources, or even 
you know, people around you that just fundamentally disagree with you. Um, and that could be at work or outside of work. And I think it's those uncomfortable moments where your skills at debating what's right and what's wrong, you can decide whether the battle is worth fighting. I think we've talked about this before. And mm -hmm. whether you've got people behind you who can support you in the event you go into battle for something this intense and this important. Um, and I think as you as you go through a lot of those uh, a lot of those those journeys, the the way you manage the uncomfortability of the situation almost becomes an addiction because you get good at it. You get good at debating against people that fundamentally disagree with you, you know, and um, a lot of people are non-confrontational and, and I am as well, but uh, if it's something I really, really believe in, um, then I'll be the first one to, you know, to speak out and, you know, build my case accordingly. But uh, I think all three of those things, inclusivity, diversity, uncomfortability, they're all linked together and everyone's got their own story of how they end up you know, doing what they do, you know, in that space, pushing boundaries, breaking down walls. But then there's a lot of people that, that don't know how to do it. And yeah. I also need to be available uh, to help those that are, that are looking to build more confidence in that space. Yeah. You know, I think the two things you said that really stand out to me are one, obviously that these, these topics are so different depending on what part of the world you're in. I think we often think about things from our perspective um, in relation to like where we are in the world, you know, and part of the reason why I started Currency Exchange is I wanted to get perspective or gain perspective from other um, other individuals outside of the US. Um, so I think that that's something that we should consider, you know, taking into consideration when we talk about these topics. And additionally, really celebrating conflict. Like I, I lean into uncomfortability. It was not something I think at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement was really the time when I was like, what part do I play in this conversation as a black woman, which may surprise people, but it was like, what part do I play in this conversation? It makes me really uncomfortable to talk about this stuff, but it's important. And how am I going to invite differing opinions um, and be a part of that conversation? Or as you said, you know, take a step back and really create boundaries to protect myself in regards to the topic at hand. And I think all those things are so important. Um, and you really learn along the way. It's not, I mean, it's not linear. It's, you know, the world isn't binary. It's, there's not a handbook that you can reference to figure out how to do these things. Um, it really is like a trial and error um, circumstance and really, you know, surrounding yourself with individuals who can support you um, despite whether they, you know, think the same way you do or, or think differently, I think is the most important thing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, you know, obviously, in regards to everything that we do in the food and beverage sector, and, you know, any interaction we have, any decision we make um, for ourselves or for other individuals that we, you know, and have encounterings with, um, taking care of ourselves, taking care of others, being empathetic, those are all things that are of utmost importance, whether we're managing teams, um, you know, whether we're a business operator or an owner. Um, um, and, you know, I, I, it's a topic that I know is very important to you. And especially with these sensitive and important conversations, um, I'm certainly interested in how you find ways to prioritize self-care 
um, while also being empathetic and understanding to, you know, the fact that there is so much going on in the world and you have no idea what, you know, others are, are, are encountering. I, th I think it's been a very challenging two years for everybody. I don't think there's one person on this planet that could, <laughs> could say that, you know, 2020 onwards was a really good year for them or, you know, really good times for them. I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a person that, you know, posts on social media that, that I'm suffering or I'm going through something. It's just not my personality, my way of, of doing things. It's not to suggest that, um, that that's wrong in any way. I just, I speak on this side to a therapist, you know, and, and so my way of self-care isn't, uh, it's not public. Uh, I would say for the, for the first part, addressing uh, things that are very difficult. I, I very seldom post publicly unless it's something that I feel I can bring other people into. It becomes almost like a group or community thing, but me posting about something personal about me, I, it's unlikely that I would do that. Um, the honesty that, uh, that I need to find in, in, you know, in my self-care being honest with, with what I'm going through is even difficult for me to do one-on-one -on -one with a therapist. I have a lot of uh, bottled up uh, emotions, thoughts, and feelings about the state of the world, the state of everything that we're going through. It's um, almost too much for, for me to handle. If sometimes, you know, uh, I, if I can make a reference to Superman, Superman, when he's younger, he can hear everything. He's exposed to everything. And his, his mother, Martha, tries to get him to really just hone in and, and just focus on one thing at a time and the rest just starts to disappear. And that's a really yeah. important thing for, for me to focus on, focus on my circle of influence of where I can have the greatest impact. impact. And albeit a lot of the impact, even in my circle of influence, tends to be, you know, can be a global audience. It's just, I can't yeah. change the world in a day. But, you know, in saying that, I have really open and honest conversations with, with my friends, you know, with my family. I think that's a really uh, big part of my own self-care is, is that honesty. Uh, the hobbies, I mean, for me, I even, I'm so rigorous in scheduling and color coding that even my free time is, is scheduled and color coded, even my hobbies. Uh, you know, athletics is really important to me. I've, I've been um, an athlete since I was a kid, uh, whether that was focusing on, you know, on, on powerlifting or playing soccer or whatever it was. Now it's, you know, it's boxing, it's, you know, it's, it's cycling, it's doing lots of different things. I find that the chemical reactions in my brain of doing athletics and, you know, my, my higher heart rate, uh, and walking in nature and fresh air and getting sunshine are actually the same thing for me. So if I can get lots of all of those things, I'm, I'm in a really good position. And then one thing I was, I'm reading a book right now called Atomic Habits, and I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, and in it, having goals is really an important part of your journey through life. But if you don't have the systems and focus a lot on the systems in order to achieve the goals, does it make the goal possible? Yeah. I don't think so. You know, yeah. if, if we're focusing and making small changes, you know, 1% uh, 
you know, every day on, you know, one, two, three, five, ten different things that we're working on rather than these big monumental changes, eventually over time, they become compounded into some pretty significant gains. And so I think, uh, you know, self-care is, is a huge topic, uh, but I think focusing on yourself, number one, is really important. Focusing on how you schedule in your hobbies, your free time, the things that make you happy, your athletics, your walks through nature, getting a dog or a cat or a fish or whatever. Uh, but then also, what are the things that you're bettering yourself with? Are you, you know, taking courses? Are you, you know, focusing on reading books, audiobooks, you know, what are cooking, baking? I love baking. So there's, I think there's lots of outlets that I have. And, you know, what I will say as a, a final you know, thought on this topic is that the last two years, I didn't have any time at all. I worked 24 seven on one thing and it nearly killed me. You know, uh, that was, that was incredibly hard and, you know, culminates with me also making a change and leaving my job and, you know, starting this month, January, 2022, I'm doing a dramatic shift and thinking about what's next. Um, but I mean, it's, I think it's, it sometimes takes a two year period to see the impact that some of these intense things have had on your life, whether for good or bad. Yeah. But I think self-awareness is the most important um, element there, right? If you're not aware that something needs to change, if you're not aware that whatever act is occurring is not fulfilling you in the way that you'd like it to fulfill you then it's just going to become you know a habit right habits are the are like the atoms of our lives as uh, James Clear says so um yeah y'all should read that book if you haven't it's a really good one um but yeah no I think I think that's really important uh yeah I I know that for me the empathy component and I'm a very empathetic person. I'm a Pisces, so naturally that's something that we are. Um, has taken a a huge precedent in my life, specifically in the last two years, um, because I realize I can see within myself how hard it's been, and it I can only imagine it's impacting others in a similar manner. Um, and then, with that being said, prioritizing. How I take care of myself um, has certainly um, taken precedent, which I'm, you know, as uh, you know, someone who owns focus on health is really important. Um, practice what you preach. Um, but it's been a, it's I've, I've learned a lot about myself, and I'm sure you've learned about a lot about yourself as well. And I think that that's the most important takeaway of the entire experience. Yeah, all of these things are are stepping stones into into what's next on the journey. You know, uh, I heard someone say to me the other day, you know, it's the seven year itch of doing different things. And granted, our, our minds change, our bodies change, everything changes every seven years. And so it shouldn't be surprising and it shouldn't be met with, you know, negative feelings. You know, if you start to feel that a change is is brewing, you know, between five and seven years, then embrace it and just see where, where things go. I think part of um, part of you know, being empathetic is not just, you know, really feeling for what other people are going through, but also really just opening yourself up to, to feel, you know, what else could be out there? What other things could you make an impact on? What are the things that you're quite interested in and how can you start to incorporate that slowly 
as maybe a different, you know, course correction um, or, you know, uh, journeys taking different, um, different paths in life. I think, you know, whether, whether you're talking about career, you're talking about your personal life, uh, different professional goals that you might have in education or otherwise, I think, you know, you can, there's always time to reinvent. There's always time to start fresh, to, you know, upskill, to evolve what you do. And it's all incredibly positive. You know, these are all really, really good journeys and, and learning missions for all of us to be on. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, and as we enter 2022, which is wild to say, um, I think that that's going to be a really important lesson for all of us to really just kind of lean into the change um, and embrace the change because it's certainly coming. Um, so before we end, I actually have one last question for you in regards to all of this as I look at your CV and just kind of like, I'm still in awe of all the amazing things that you do. What are, what are your opinions about impact? Because I know that there are people who strive to make an impact and to really make waves within the industry. I personally have found that me with focus on health, for instance, my goal was to take something that I saw with, and Alex too, things that we saw were very helpful for us and hope that they at least, we said if it even helps one person that we're happy with whatever you know the, the ultimate outcome is. But I'm curious as to what you do because you're doing so much stuff and it's certainly making impact in waves um, in, a, in a big way. Did, did, you, did you go into it thinking like, I wanna make a difference, I wanna make a change in this, I'm gonna do it or go into it thinking like, you know, these are things that are important to me. And I hope that someone else out there may be inspired by this. I think my, my view on it is actually, uh, is, is quite simple. You know, uh, myself as a, as a bartender who, you know, who started, you know, from nothing and, you know, Jonathan as a, as a cook who, you know, rose up through the ranks over the years, over the last like 25 to 30 years as, as a chef, I think for us, it was a really big question that we asked ourselves in 2010 was not necessarily where do we want to be in five years? It's so cliche to say, where do you want to be in five years and how are you going yeah. to get there? <laughs> it, was, it was manifesting these little changes, you know, I, I think on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis and everything that we were doing was so difficult. We left paid jobs to start not one but two businesses with no investment no money <laughs> no nothing we we only just knew that we could do really beautiful work that benefits other people so we had a pop-up restaurant that gave jonathan the opportunity to cook really beautiful food that he was very proud of for you know groups of people that could buy tickets or we did private stuff in people's homes i could you know, we, we turned it into a bartender, you know, contest and program where different bartenders were invited to come once a week to pair drinks to the food and it would be all about them. So it's, it was about creating platforms that could help advance our careers, definitely, but also could help to shine a light and advance the careers of other people. Also bringing you know, consumers and guests that have been coming to our bars and restaurants for years, the opportunity to try something different, because I'm sure all bartenders and chefs have felt it. You have, you know, guests come in and they're like, have you ever thought of opening your own bar and restaurant? It's like, yes. Do you have any money to invest? That should be the second question. And very rarely 
do you find that unicorn that doesn't have a say in the business, you know, that wants to just dump money into your pockets and say, you know, the world is your oyster, open whatever bar and restaurant you like. It is like rarely the case. And we definitely did not have that. So every decision we made, every business, every idea, we, we developed a way that it could benefit the masses, that we could sell it as a program that could benefit large groups of people. And from there, how do we make a little bit of money from that so that we can continue to grow the programs that we're building? Now, all of a sudden, we're 12, we're 12 years later. And I think the impact that we've made is ongoing. And I think even the fact that, you know, Bitter Sling, our bitters company, the slow and steady growth over, you know, 12 years, 10 to 12 years of having no investment whatsoever and just, you know, adding a little bit of cash here and there, personal investment. We'd work, you know, sometimes three and four jobs to make sure that Bitter Sling could just keep growing. Uh, we've worked with great bartenders like yourself and, and, and great uh, ambassadors and great folks that have come in to help us with marketing, come in to do this, come in to do that. And it makes us feel really proud that we can be in a position to be able to do that, to be able to, you know, hire a, a, occasionally, you know, someone that's maybe just out of school that wants the opportunity to build their portfolio. And we've got a specific project or task for them um, to, you know, a, a paid work or a task where they can help to build what whatever we need. Um, and, I, I suppose that that way of thinking is all stemmed from the fact that other people did that for us. Yeah. We've never, like, we've never walked in. Well, I mean, Jonathan and I have walked into corporate boardrooms in the last 12 years and didn't have the language skills, the, 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 the corporate cultural skills to like be able to articulate or explain what we wanted, what we needed from them and what the return would be. So for us, it would have been so hard to pitch for investment because we were just running everything the way we were. And so I think, you know, growing things as a a slow and steady business model has actually worked out to be the greatest success of our lives. And we're able to, to build each of our little businesses in the same way um, for the long run, rather than, you know, the short term gain of an so called overnight success, which also doesn't exist, by the way, it's all years and years of work. But I think it, it makes us really proud, because we have total control, we can work with the people we want to work with, we can, you know, add in different programs that uh, benefit different people in, in different areas as, as we need to, that's where women celebrate uh, started from, which originated as mini bar, and it started in Canada in 2014, as a um, International Women's Day platform. So, yeah, I think uh, impact is uh, is you know obviously a huge part of everything that uh, that we do. It it does need to benefit people, and if we can make a difference, like you said, just with you know with one person, um, then it's then it's all worth it because that's that is our mindset in terms of entrepreneurial ideas. I love that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Certainly. Uh a big thing. Um, and there have been so many people who have made huge waves and impasse, especially in the last year. So shout out to all those individuals because they certainly know it wasn't easy. Um, and they do it because they love it. Um, amazing. So my favorite question to ask everyone on the podcast is, uh, 
if you could eat or drink anywhere in the world right now, um, where would it be <laughs> and why? I would be with uh, Jonathan Moondog, all of my brothers, uh, and we would be at my mom's house in Nova Scotia having all kinds of cocktails and oysters and fresh seafood and you know just hanging out and watching the world go by in the coldest winter ever uh in in Nova Scotia no doubt uh I haven't seen my family in over two years and it's been it's been really challenging it's been really hard I'm sure a lot of people are in the in the same position it's great that we have, you know, FaceTime, Zoom and all these different video platforms, but nothing replaces being in person. I had the, the great uh, pleasure and I was very, very lucky to be able to travel, you know, 300 days a year for, you know, close to four or five years and visit so many different countries, bars, restaurants, cities, uh, villages, hang out with lots of really interesting people. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to get back to that and not necessarily traveling 300 days a year. I mean, back to, you know, being in bars with people all the time, but until then it's, you know, it's always about family. You know, my grandmother just turned 103. My dad's also in Toronto. I just haven't seen anyone in such a long time. <laughs> Jonathan's yeah. parents and sister, you know, there's just, there's nothing, nothing replaces, you know, whether it's your, your, uh, your biological family, your chosen family, whatever it is, whoever you uh, wish to spend time with the most that really fulfills you in your heart, that is where I wish to be right now. No, I agree. It's, it's family, you know, chosen family, friends, uh, biological family, friends are very important. Um, and so I'm glad that you at least get to connect with them virtually. And I hope that that reunion's coming real soon for you. Um, Amazing. Well, I hope so too. What about you? If I ask you the same I, question, ooh, nobody ever asked me. Um, honestly, it'd probably be with my family. Uh, I fortunately got to see them during the holidays, and it was very special. And um, you know, as I get older, those moments are very precious. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think a, a nice reunion with some good food and drinks and lots of Marvin Gaye playing in the background would be like a dream right now. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's been a very challenging two years, as we know, and I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but 2022 looks like it's going to be on a more positive trajectory than the last two years. And you know, even just the, the teeny tiniest little, you know, move of the needle into positivity is still, you know, just far and away a better thing than what we've gone through in the last two years. So, absolutely, you know, yeah, it allows us all, to, I think, to enter into the new year with a, a, a very uh, fresh perspective and fresh way of thinking and not necessarily saying that the last two years were horrible, but saying that the last two years were just interesting challenges and gave us different perspective to choose how we want to enter into this year. Absolutely, I agree. Well, I appreciate you for popping on. Do you mind telling folks where they can follow you in case they'd like to learn more about what you're doing? Definitely, you can find me on Instagram at Lauren Moat, that's L-A-U-R-E-N-M-O-T-E and at Bittered underscore Sling, B-I-T-T-E-R-E-D underscore S-L-I-N-G on Instagram. 
and uh, also on LinkedIn and all the other platforms. So um, yeah, it'd be great to keep connected. And if you, you've heard something on the podcast today that inspired you, you want to have a conversation about it, you, you're just curious, you know, just drop me a note. I'll always respond to messages and, uh, you know, LP, appreciate you having this uh, amazing opportunity for, for me to share a bit of my new life story of where I'm going in 2022. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a great run for you as well. I know you've got a couple of episodes left and then you're wrapping, wrapping it up. So uh, maybe there's another season in the, in the pipeline for you. Let's hope. Maybe. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe we'll take it on the road. It'd be fun. Yeah. It'd be super fun. But thanks again for having <laughs> me. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for listening to the Currency Exchange podcast. To learn more about Currency Exchange, World Class, or Diageo, visit fohealth.org backslash currency exchange podcast.